You are listening to The Mortification of Spin, the regular broadcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. And I am half of your hosting troop, Todd Pruitt. I'm the pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And I am joined, as always, by Carl Truman. Carl teaches church history at Westminster Theological Seminary, and he is also the pastor of Cornerstone Presbyterian Church in Ambler, Pennsylvania. Carl, it is great to see you as always. We are here in our secret bunker uh, in Ambler, Pennsylvania, um, safely away from the prying eyes of Anabaptists everywhere. Yes, uh, uh, we're in the the deluxe recording studio at Cornerstone Ah, Presbyterian Church. It is a fine place. Indeed, it is, held together with bits of chewing gum and uh, (laughs) paper clips. That's right. Um, Oh, uh, I think I can hear in the distance the sound of, of dueling banjos. I, I uh, do too. Takes me back to an old Burt Reynolds movie. It does, it does, and it can mean only one thing on the mortification of spin, <laughs> and that is that our favourite biker bar, West Virginian housewife, Amy Bird, must be yes. in the facility. Amy, are you out there? I am. Thank you, Carl. And I just wanted to warn you that, you know, in this West Virginia biker bar, it's better not to order that Zinfandel. <laughs> <laughs> the great state of West Virginia takes these things pretty seriously. Yeah, what about Todd's preference for those blue drinks with the, the umbrellas in them? Are they okay? Or, bad uh... idea. Bad idea. <laughs> well, Amy, I, we, I, I understand, and th- it's a rumor that's going around, but, but Carl and I have heard uh, that you are officially registered in the state of West Virginia as a lethal weapon. Uh, that you yourself are so um, are, are trained in mixed martial arts, that you personally that. beat up uh, Mark Driscoll and made him cry uh, not long ago in a cage match. Is any of this true? Well, you know, it's the one time where a woman may try to make a man submit is okay. in the cage. In the cage, in the cage. Well, that's good. That's good. I, and I understand. I mean, I understand your... Uh, your desire for uh, self-defense um, uh, training and, and weaponry. You do live in in West Virginia, uh, and you do have to fight off the uh, marauding bands of troglodytic cannibals. And uh, so, so good on you for for knowing how to fight. That's good. Well, it's great to have you. Great to have you with us, Amy. Uh, <laughs> What are they? Like, isn't, that, isn't this just a great way to be treated? We're going to have you on as a guest, and then say awful things about where you live. I know. That's bad, isn't it? You don't do that with any of your other guests. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, well, we, we respect them and we have affection for them, Amy. That's the difference. <laughs> See, this is terrible. This Thanks, is, guys. This is terrible. And if I can do a really, really ancient cultural reference at this point, please do. I, I think the three of us are a bit like uh, Bob Hope, Bing Crosby, and, and Dorothy L'Amour. Light becomes you. It goes with your hair. You certainly know the right thing to wear. Moonlight becomes you. And those old uh, uh, road moves, the road to the mortification of spin. Very interesting. <laughs> that is an, an old cultural reference, Carl. Good, good for you. Anyway, one of the the reasons why we've asked you back, Amy, is uh, a little while ago, Todd and I did a podcast on domestic abuse in the church. And we zeroed in on that program very much on what one might call the the obvious examples of abuse, where the physical or verbal abuse was, was evident for all to see and that pastors needed to 
take some kind of a lead in intervening and helping out uh, uh, particularly women, generally speaking, who are suffering from such abuse. What we want to talk to you about today are the, the more subtle kinds of abuse that can go on in the church. And to ask you as a, as a woman, as a wife, as a mother, as a, a member of a, a Presbyterian church, what are the kind of things that uh, you would like pastors and elders to be aware of, to be thinking about in practical terms for helping couples and individuals who are trapped in marriages where perhaps the abuse is more subtle or perhaps where the abuse would not constitute enough for, for biblical separation but nevertheless needs to be dealt with in a, in a firm and loving and pastoral way in order that the name of Christ be honoured and that the marriage be restored to uh, biblical dimensions, if we could put it that way. So uh, I wonder if you, if you have any reflections just off the top of your head on, on that as a general theme before we come down to some specifics. Yes, I, I do, because I think it can get really messy in the church. I have you know, a good handful of friends or people that I know of and care for that are in marriages that would be maybe characterized as verbally abusive, but in severe ways, ways that aren't okay, aren't acceptable. And when they just hear to be like a submissive wife, you know, they want to be a good wife. They want to be a good Christian wife. But that word submissive, just if we're just talking about it as a moral virtue and we don't really get into the theology of what that means and the picture of Christ in the church, it can easily be taken by a well-intended person to be more enabling and just taking this kind of abuse. Uh, what's a, would you give sort of specific examples of, of the kind of thing you're thinking about? Sure. Like um, in your podcast talking about the physical abuse, you said like, what if a woman came into the pastor's office saying that my husband beats me black and blue? But it probably could be a lot more likely that a woman would come into the office saying, my husband tells me on a regular basis that I repulse him mm. right in front of the children. Mm tells me that I'm worthless, ugly, can't do anything right. And, you know, these kind of tearing down, I mean, I kind of categorize it as the, the narcissistic abuser. And right in front of their children, these mm. beautiful women who take great care of their home and love the Lord are just being, you know, beaten down verbally. Todd, you've been a pastor for a lot longer than I have. Uh, presumably you've dealt with situations like that or at least been confronted with them at, at various points in your ministry. Yeah, and I've, I've heard of situations just exactly, Amy, what, what, what you're describing. Now what's interesting is, is I've been the senior pastor of a church since 1999, and, I've, and I haven't yet been personally brought into a situation like that, but I've... I've heard enough about it, so I'm sitting here wondering, you know, I wonder how frightening it is for a woman who knows she can't point to bruises on her body, but she is in a situation like you've described. I wonder how hard it is, and I'm asking this rhetorically, of course, for her to go to her pastor and say, my husband speaks to me in such a way that is not only unchristlike, but it's it's crushing me. It's it's doing harm to the children. I would imagine that's a very difficult and humiliating situation to be put in because, like I said, I've heard of these situations, 
many times, but I have yet, to my recollection, had someone come to me and and ask for help in a situation like that. And I can't imagine that there's never been anyone in, in, in the church I've pastored that hasn't experienced something like that. I'd be shocked if that were, if that were true. And so I, I'm sitting here wondering, why is that? I understand why, to a certain extent, why a woman, because it's embarrassing. It is embarrassing. Yes. But what is the dynamic that would prevent her from going to an elder or going to a pastor and saying, please, please help. And what is it that a man like me, a pastor and an elder in a church, can do to help make it, for lack of a better word, easier for a woman who is miserable? Nope, she's she's not being beaten physically, but it's clearly an unchristlike situation in her home. Her husband's a professing believer. He's accountable to a church, and she's terrified to, to out him mm-hmm. in that way. How do we help a woman in that case? Because the fact is, we're not just helping her. We're helping her sinning husband Yes, and to, to, to repent. We're helping those children. I, I'm, I'm really uh, – uh, my head is spinning right now thinking about how do we do that? How do we help that woman? And, and – what would be your thoughts then? What what can I do? What can Carl do? What can elders and pastors well, do? Well, this is the question I've been asking myself because it is very prominent, actually. In yeah. some cases, the husband is a believer, and in a lot of cases, the husband's not a believer and may not even be a member of the church. You know, right. it's just the wife, and then so issues like church discipline can't even come right. into the picture, really. Right. And the last thing that these women need to hear from a friend or a pastor or an elder is another thing that they're doing wrong. Right. They need encouragement in the gospel. And I think it's very important. You know, they get, it's so easy to get used to a lifestyle that you're not supposed to get used to. Hmm. And so for me, I feel like one thing that I need to do is to point out how wrong it is Mm -hmm. uh, to encourage her that her sufficiency isn't in, what her husband says she is and her, her value and her meaning doesn't come from that, but it comes from Christ and, and being in him and, and what he has declared to be true about her and to show that picture of Christ's love for the church, that he has completely provided for everything, all of her needs, is cleansing her with the word. But then also I feel like just coming alongside and, and suffering with them hmm. And in these cases, I do think, and this is where it gets messy, because I think maybe they talk more to other women, maybe one or two friends that they feel close to and safe with, but they're afraid to talk to leaders in the church about it because they really, it's messy. And is part of that fear 
the, the the fear that they're going to be laying something out there extremely personal yes. and then not being heard, perhaps? Correct. And, and I think that there's this um, resignation that they don't want to divorce, right. they don't want to split their home up, and they don't feel like there's anything they can do. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I would imagine a piece of that also, if, if the husband is in the church, if he is a member of the church, that there's still this desire on the part of his wife to not harm his reputation. And yes. so she feels like she's caught in a dilemma. Do I reach out for help to save this marriage? It's like how far right. along do you go to cover your husband's shame? Right. And when is it important to actually expose his secrets? Right. Mm. Part of the the solution to that, I guess, is making sure that you have an eldership that are very discreet, mm. yes. that people will not divulge what's going on in their houses. Uh, a, if they don't know the elders, and that's why I think, you know, I don't want to go off on my anti-megachurch rant, but I think it's it's important that people know who the elders are. They can see the elders as they behave Sunday by Sunday in the church so they know they're men of integrity. And secondly, elders who have a reputation that when people speak to them, they don't gossip. And I think that also applies to their wives. I can... Know of one situation, not in the church I'm in, but I know of one situation where somebody said to me, you know, we, we never called that man as an elder because we knew his wife couldn't keep a secret. And often, I think, as elders, we, we share things with our wives because we want advice from our wives and things, but you have to be able to trust your wife's discretion. So if you're not building that kind of culture, then you're never going to be able to address the sort of issues that Amy is raising, I think, right. at this point. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I also think that uh, the church needs to help equip women with a better theology behind all of the moral imperatives that they get in yeah. their marital relationships. Yes, in an email you sent to me recently, Amy, you said that uh, complementarians above all should be especially passionate to bring up strong-thinking women. Uh, I have to confess that that sentence caused much hilarity as we were joking about it before the program. Uh, we don't mind strong and thinking. It was combining it with the women yeah. that we actually found a little bit intimidating yeah. and frightening. Yeah. But uh, yeah, We like to think that we men are the ones who should be doing all of the thinking. Otherwise, we get a bit insecure. <laughs> but how would you, you know, seriously, that is clearly the goal mm-hmm. of discipleship within the church for all believers. Uh, what do you think the church needs to do better to uh, develop, as you say, strong-thinking women. We're complementarians uh, in the Presbyterian, the PCA, and the OPC. There are clear rules laid down as to what women can and cannot do in public worship, for example, on a Sunday. But outside of the limits of the worlds which we inhabit, what do you think we should we should be doing in order to encourage strong-thinking women in our churches? Well, I just think it's the teaching. Um, sure, we have certain things in place with, uh, you know, male elders and, and with some of the arrangements with teaching in a church. But that doesn't mean that women don't participate very much in the small groups and um, Bible studies and just the whole general culture of the church. So I think that the teaching needs to be strong and doctrinal 
And a lot of times we think of the women as kind of the love side and the men as the right. theology side, right. where we can't really divide the two. They go right. hand in hand. <clears throat> love is a theological thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's it's interesting to me because you're, I, I, I appreciate the point you're bringing up because as someone who's a complementarian, we, we have a, we have a, a, a robust uh, understanding of, of the responsibility and the role of men. But as complementarians, then, we're, we're, we're under just as much responsibility to have a very clear and robust understanding of the role of women. And we say, because it's true, whether or not we practice it or not is another matter, but we say men and women are equal in status before the Lord and both play indispensable and essential uh, roles in the body of Christ. And um, I think a weak spot for us is is having just as clear and robust an understanding of what that role is actively uh, for women in the church. And um, I think you're hitting on it when you're talking about um, we want our women to be theologically minded just as much as men are. Right. And if women are to be helpers as part of their role, mm-hmm. um, it takes a lot of wisdom and a lot of discernment and a lot of strength right. to be a good helper. So I think that, um, you know, if we really believe women and men together and their distinctive roles mm-hmm. help complete the image of God, then we need to be very serious about equipping one another for that purpose. Right. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, a story that Michael Horton tells in his Christless Christianity book when he talks about, I think, a, a lady turning up at his church one Sunday evening and her marriage was in trouble. But the church she was going to was doing a series on how to save your marriage. Mm. And that was not what she needed to help save her marriage. What she needed was to go to Michael Horton's church and hear the gospel, Mm. the basic gospel proclaimed that this is what Christ has done and this is who you are Mm -hmm. in Christ. And so I think Amy's really putting her her finger on a key point Mm -hmm. there, that that, the teaching of, of Scripture, the indicative teaching of who we are in Christ is absolutely vital uh, in order to uh, to address these problems and sp- uh, not sparing Amy's blushes, I would sort of plug her own website at this mm-hmm. point and her yep. her book uh, as an example of a. I think we'll grant you the status of a strong thinking woman, Amy. Uh, but Amy's website, housewifetheologian.com, and her excellent book that we uh, reviewed, interviewed Amy on this program uh, about uh, a little while back, The Housewife Theologian from Presbyterian Reform. I think those would be excellent mm-hmm. starting places for. Uh, women and indeed for for men to reflect on the on, on that particular issue, mm-hmm. and you can also if you go to her uh, website, uh, Housewife Theologian, I believe there is a video posted of her beating up Mark Driscoll in that case <laughs> match. <laughs> so. Oh, I'm going to get all kinds of hits. <laughs> well, see, that's what I'm... people. That's hey, what we're you get here tits, for, we get subpoenas. That's, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, the lawyers are absent today. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, at what stage do you think that church discipline would become appropriate? And we've talked about where the husband is, is not a believer, is not a member of the church. But anybody who's been in any church for any length of time will know that, that Christian men do not always make the best husbands. And some of them, in fact, use their Christian theology as a means of treating their wives like pieces of property, 
totally unacceptable. Obviously, we, we want teaching that speaks out against that, not only the, the positive teaching of our identity in Christ, but also on occasion, clear teaching on what it means to be a Christian husband. Uh, but at some point, you know, as in all things, that something's going to come up where teaching from the pulpit is not enough. There has to be that confrontation, that one-on-one between the pastor and the the person who's in the crosshairs or with the session and the person in the crosshairs. Where do you think the line is crossed, Amy, or is it impossible to answer that question in the abstract? Yeah, I think it's a really hard question. I'm not really sure myself. And even as um, someone who is you know, not an elder in a church... I'm relieved to hear that, but carry on. But just as a friend... Um, it becomes very awkward and hard to know. So, I don't know. I was hoping you guys would answer that yeah. question. <laughs> it, it, well, it is, it is hard to answer in the abstract. I mean, it, I think it's a question that we need to ask in the abstract because the, the specific is going to come. But, but it, is, it is hard. And, and, I, and I think that churches know how, oftentimes, not all the time, but know, can, can do a fairly good job of swinging into action in the, in the most extreme examples of abuse where a woman has been physically beaten up, a church can swing into action, then a man knows how to, a pastor, elders, you know, they know how to see that, okay, that's not right, that's abuse, they'll swing into action and help and help the wife. But it's in these other things that, that we've talked about where there's clear violations going on, where a church does have responsibility to speak into the life of a man who is treating his wife in an ungodly manner, that we end up stumbling, and I think sometimes stumbling badly. I think this is where my own conviction would be that the wives of elders and deacons can play a key role because the fact that people are elders and deacons show that they're, they're really very, very rooted in the church. And it's impossible for each individual person to know everybody. But if elders and deacons and their wives take time to, to get to know members of the congregation— I'm not going to say you're going to be able to spot this kind of abuse every single time, but if you know people well, you can certainly spot when there is a change in body language between a couple, or you can pick up something that indicates that there is a dysfunction there. Again, not to say it's 100% correct, but if you actually know people, you know people. and you get to know them when, when things are going well, you can often spot when things are taking a turn for the worst. And... At that point, I think it can be helpful to take the initiative. I can think of one particular instance where uh, my wife and I picked up something and we thought, you know, there's, there's something not quite right there. And my wife uh, spoke to, to the person and it all came out at that point. And then we were able to to help. And it was not a discipline issue at all. We were able to, to help uh, in that yeah, particular it's life circumstance. life in the body of Christ. Yeah. yeah. But again, it goes back to my... <laughs> my regular rants about megachurches. You can't do this in a church of thousands and thousands right. of people. You need, And if you are in a church of thousands and thousands of people, you need to think very long and hard about how to structure pastoral care in that church. The elders and deacons have a key role in spiritual and material concerns in the church. And if they don't know the people, the people are being neglected, and you do not have a church that is functioning as Paul envisages a church should function when he lays out his his scheme for church life in the pastoral epistles. Yes, and I think like um, in that initiation, just asking some good leading questions is a good start as well. And I found that 
you know, a, a devaluing of another person, such as I've seen in this kind of verbal abuse, is usually also connected to something like um, pornography addiction. Hmm. Interesting. Things like that. Yeah. I mean, pornography addiction, it seems to me, or use of pornography has to be the number one hmm. pastoral problem among men in the church. And... You know, one would have to say, I, I don't think, I, I think the, the percentage of men who struggle with lust at some level, 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no man who doesn't struggle with lust at some kind of level. Uh, the percentage of those who struggle with pornography is probably relatively high. Uh, what would you as a wife expect from the church if your husband was struggling with, with pornography use or addiction? You know, I've thought about that, too, because I have definitely seen a lot of relationships ruined from this. And I think that um, the church sometimes, you know, it can be embarrassing to keep bringing up. Mm -hmm. But I really do think that, and maybe it's not just the elders. Maybe there's some good biblical counselors in the church, or maybe there's, you know, some others that are are, uh, really good in this area besides only the elders. Mm -hmm. But I think that they need to be pursuing these people and following up, not just the, you know, one or two meetings about, you know, repentance and um, laying out, you know, what they're doing wrong and how they need to get better, but um, it's a continual process. So I think that there needs to be more than just one person that's talking to them. And I do think it needs to be people that they respect And same with the the wife, because the wife so often gets neglected, Mm. but she is very much going through a really tough struggle. And she needs people to come alongside her and encourage her in the gospel and and help to strengthen her in God's word. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a very sort of sobering note to end on. I think we we need to do a mortification of spin episode on on pornography. Uh, because that is a a burning issue within the church. Well, thanks very much for joining us, Amy. You're a great sport. We uh, uh, we're glad you're still in West Virginia because knowing that you're a mixed martial artist, we would not have mocked you as mercilessly uh, <laughs> at the start if you were within Sorry. punching range or kicking range of us at this point. And and uh, we are we are happy about the arrival of of running water in your state as well. So congratulations <laughs> on that. That's so good. Much. I, ga- I gather the Potomac flooded earlier this week. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, thanks for joining us, Amy. Thank and you, Amy. again, uh, anybody listening out there who wants uh, to read uh, Amy's very apposite reflections on life, theology, and the universe should go to housewifetheologian.com and should also think about purchasing her book, The Housewife Theologian, that's recently been published by Presbyterian and Reformed. Uh, this has been The Mortification of Spin. Uh, please visit our website, mortificationofspin.org. Uh, we are a ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals and uh, would encourage you to uh, visit the Alliance's website, uh, alliancenet.org. Uh, plenty of great resources for the church there. And we look forward to joining you all on a future podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs>